it's time to expand online. Hi, I'm Jamie Sletsky, and this is the podcast where we break down the tech and strategies that successful hands-on entrepreneurs just like you use to translate their services into online products. There is no fluff. There is no overwhelm. There is no shame. Let's get to it. It's time for you to expand online. Welcome to the Expand Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Slutsky, and I have a super awesome interview for you today. This podcast episode is sponsored by Musi.live. If you haven't checked out their software yet, I've got that linked up in the show notes. And my guest today is Nate Lee. So hi, Nate. Hey, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I felt that it was really important as we were putting together the idea of this uh, session of this episode for us to kind of talk about Musi, but really talk about you and what you're doing online and how you've grown and all of that stuff. So before we get into uh, my list of questions that is running through my head right now, let's make sure everybody knows who you are and what you do and why the heck you do it. All right. Well, as you mentioned, I am Nate Lee. That is not two first names. The first name's Nate, the last name's Lee. Um, and I'm also known as Nate Lee. They call me the human adverb. So they say uh, he went along Nate Lee and with great courage. So uh, that's my teaching brand that you'll see as Play Nate Lee. And I started playing music at 10. I've played ever since. I'm 34. I'm a lifelong music learner. I'll never stop. And about five, six years into playing, I started teaching. A music store had an opportunity and it paid three times what I would get uh, working at Whataburger or somewhere and started doing that. And I've now been teaching going on 20 years. And I really love it. Moved online in uh, 2014, started online lessons after borderline coercion from a student who just really wanted to take online. And I, that's now what I do exclusively. And I really love it. Awesome. Yeah. So you are one of the OGs with teaching music online because you are pre-pandemic. And I love that because I think that some of the things that you stumbled through as you were figuring out how to be online and teach an effective lesson online and do all the engagement and all of that stuff is almost second nature for us in 2022 because the tools have gotten better, cameras have gotten better, internet has gotten better, and the students are more adapt to, to doing all of this stuff. So let's talk a little bit about what it looks like for you to teach an online lesson. So for a typical online lesson, I, uh, you know, I use Musi like we talked about. And because of that, all my stuff is in one place. So it used to be a lot of preparation of getting everything in one place because nobody wants to take a lesson from someone who doesn't know what they're working on. So the mm -hmm. worst thing that can happen is I sign on and then say, um, so what are we working on today? Like that, that lesson started off bad. So I start about five minutes early. I make sure to just read all of the notes to know what we're actually working on. I start the call, the student joins. And this part I think is really important is I spend between one and five minutes just talking to them about how's their day, did anything stress them out this week with their instrument? Because the last thing I want to do is just, all right, measure 17, go. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it, it puts them on edge. And even students of many years, you know, my students tend to stay two to five years. 
they still feel nervous to play in front of their teacher. So everything that I can do to start that off well makes it go well. So then we start with any questions that have come up over the week. If anything is not applicable to the lesson plan, we put it in the parking lot and we'll come back and get it. It's just a list that we keep of things that should be covered at some point. And we review their old stuff. I purposely move very, very slowly. I don't do a ton of homework because that's the recipe for students to just not really improve. Mm -hmm. They work on their old stuff. If there's time and if we're ready, we go into the new stuff. I record it all on video and Musi. I put notes in their assignment page and they've got everything in one place. They're ready to practice. Ah, sounds so simple. <laughs> it, it sounds... After a while, it feels that way. <laughs> yeah, but it's not necessarily that it's just Musi that made this work all this way, but you kind of created a structure and a cadence that makes sense in online for your students, for the way that you want to teach and the way that you want them to retain what it is and actually implement what it is that you have taught them. So was that something that you built over time? You experimented with different approaches? Like, talk a little bit about how you developed that cadence. Sure. You know, when I first started out teaching, I was awful. So for anybody out there listening, thinking, oh, I just don't know how to teach. I don't think I can do this. I thought the same thing, but I had an opportunity and jumped in. So anyone listening should try that at least at first. Mm -hmm. uh, when I started in 2014 teaching online, I really knew nothing about it. I didn't know how it was going to work since we couldn't play live together. And I just jumped in. It was a student who's a friend and they just really wanted a lesson. So we started out using Skype and I had my first hot mic, maybe my only hot mic moment with that. I thought I had hung up. And luckily, the thing I said was positive. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I hate teaching online or anything. I, I enjoyed it so much that I thought I'd hung up and I just went, oh, right. And I hear laughing on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> so from the first one, I realized I can do this. There's a learning curve, but I can do this. So I had to learn some basic things like we can't play together but there's actually a way that works better. When I teach in person, I now teach more like I do online, mm -hmm. which is the student plays and I listen. If I'm playing with them, then most of the time, part of my attention is now going to me playing and I can't help them as much. So I give them backing tracks. I record tracks on Musi. I teach bluegrass and related styles. So there's this software called Strum Machine that plays backing tracks and I just listen so that I can help them. Uh, so those types of things make such a huge difference in helping someone embrace the online format to the point where a lot of my students are more focused online than they would be if they were in person because we're working on things in a methodical manner instead of just sitting here in my office picking together. Oh, that makes so much sense. I mean, it's, when you say it, it's like, yeah, of course, but that's not the way that most of us learned our instruments. Obviously, I, I, I'm an exception. I didn't play, you know, music beyond eighth grade band. But most of you, you learned your instrument sitting on the piano bench next to the teacher, sitting across from the guitar teacher in band, in, you know, learning from mentors, learning from peers, talking music in, you know, in real time where there were multiple sources of 
sound and educate and teaching and your brain had to process through and filter through what it was that you needed to actually pay attention to. And by changing this up to make it singularly focused on what that student needs right now without all of the distractions, yeah, of course it's going to make for a better lesson. (laughs) Absolutely. And one of the things that makes it work so well, and keep in mind that what I teach does not tend to follow specific methods. You know, I teach music that's very improvisational and everybody takes their own path. So it's not quite the same as, you know, when I started Suzuki, there's a method you're going to follow. Right. Um, But I found that by not sticking to a particular method, I can reach every student in their own way, which works so much better than the way for the kind of music I teach works so much better than the way that a lot of music is taught. And I think it's really important for teachers to look at who are the students and what are they trying to do? Because for some people, my methods would be horrible. If they want to go and get into conservatory somewhere, I am the wrong teacher for that. Mm -hmm. But if they want to go and jam with other people or join a band or join a better band, I'm the right teacher for that. And for it to work, You've got to find the people who are a match to you. And they're not always, they're not all going to be that. Very, very important. And that's one of the things about teaching online that we can get so much more specific because we have removed the barrier of geography. And Mm -hmm. that is the coolest thing. Obviously, I love it. I'm wondering, do you have people all over the country, all around the world, like multiple countries, like what kind of distribution of students do you have at this point in time? I have taught all around the world online uh, for teaching. I teach a lot of in-person workshops. That's where a lot of my students come from, by the way, for anyone trying to figure out how to get students, go teach them in-person workshops. Uh, But as a result of that, getting out there, performing different places, I have students all over. I've taught students in Germany, Canada, Cayman Islands. Uh, So there's just a lot of a lot of uh, options for finding the right people, because like you mentioned, they're just there's this whole world of people within about six hours of time zones. I can work with anybody I want and I teach 18 lessons a week and it's the right 18 people because Mm -hmm. I'm not drawing from my town. Plus, I'm located in, in Nashville. Like if you walk anywhere, you're going to bump into another music teacher who teaches what you do. And they're all struggling to find students because they're teaching in person in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I mean, so that is like a huge differentiator for you is that you're teaching Nashville style music online. And so that, you know, not everybody needs to be located right down the street from you in order to get there. Now, you said you teach 18 lessons a week. Do you teach that evenly throughout the week? Or do you have a couple of days that you teach a couple of days that you don't teach? Like, how do you have that distributed? And why? Why did you choose to do it that way? Oh, that's a great question. So it used to be I taught more students pre-pandemic, and my model that I follow is trying to teach fewer students for a higher rate, but also being able to give them more time. So if they have questions during the week, I'm going to answer those questions, maybe even send them back a quick little recording of, no, do it like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of that, I need to make sure I have enough time that I'm not teaching lessons. And that's how I've cut it down to fewer students and raised my rates is people are getting more of a concierge sort of service. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I've brought well and the toddler uh, because I do keep my toddler about half of every day. 
Um, so because of that and the toddler, I teach three days a week. So it's Tuesdays from 10 to 2 and then from 6 to 8. Wednesdays from 10 to 1 and then 6 to 9. And then Saturdays, uh, there's a break in there, but Saturdays it's basically 8 to 3. I teach six lessons a day, which is the Goldilocks zone for me. Seven lessons is too many. The seventh person is not going to get a good lesson. And that's where people need to find and draw that line is at what point did a student get a lesson that wasn't 100% and that's too many students for that day. So mm-hmm. I just teach six a day, three days a week, and I've got time to pursue other things. You know, I do have other irons in the fire in the music business and it's perfect for me. I love that. I love that. You want to care to share any of those other irons that you've got in the fire? I'd love to hear them. Absolutely. Well, I'm a lifelong performer. It often does take a backseat to the teaching because I've watched so many of my heroes grow old and they are running, not themselves usually, but there's Kickstarters and GoFundMes for them to pay medical bills or some of them to even stay in a house. And we're talking legendary musicians. Uh, So I noticed that early on and realized I want to make sure I have a steady income. I'm never going to let that happen to me. So the performances often do take a back seat because of that. But I've performed in a lot of bands with people that your listeners will have never heard of probably, but who are uh, really well respected in my genre. And it's so fun. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy it. I've made some albums with other people and I put out one perfect timing. I put out one in June of 2020 and the planning had already been made, publicist already paid, and I just had to do it. It sold horribly, but I don't care that much because it's my art. It's I made it for me. Right. Uh, so yeah, so I really enjoy that. And then I have a new venture, which is Lesson Business Blueprint, where I teach my methods to musicians. It's aimed at musicians who have never taught a lesson, but it's also been useful to folks who have taught for years. And the idea is you're a musician you've had two years of canceled gigs and you don't want to go and work a normal job somewhere, especially for musicians. The other options don't pay well because musicians put all their work into that. You know, they usually don't know how to code or do web design or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have that course out that teaches them every step of what they need to do to do exactly what I'm doing. So good. So good. I love that you have taken this multi-pronged approach to building a um, a career. I mean, it, it's a career on your terms, doing what you want, what fuels you and all of that. That's the most important thing. As we decide that, yes, we're going to continue to pursue teaching online, that you have to love it. You have to love every aspect of it. And, you know, and like so many successful teachers find that other teachers or or other prospective teachers are coming to them saying, how did you do this? How did you do this? And I love that you've chosen to add that as a, um, an offering within, within everything that you're doing. Do you teach you? So you mentioned doing in-person workshops. Are you invited to people's um, places? Do you hang your own flyer? What does that look like? They are the ones I've done for, and I've been teaching those for 15 years or something. Every single one of them has been something that someone else organized. Okay. And uh, interestingly, almost every music connection I've ever made in some way can be traced back to the camp I went to every year as a kid. It's called 
Camp Bluegrass. Um, and that the college that hosts it is where I went and got my music degree. Uh, but there are in my genre, a lot of established music camps. And it's not just my genre, you know, especially rock. There are a lot of camps out there that people can go to and and teach. Sometimes it takes some effort getting on the camp. You've got to take the first step a lot of times. Uh, but these camps I teach are usually four days to a week, and they already have an established following. Now, I have my own following that took a while to build, but as of about 10 years ago, people started going to camps because I was teaching, mm-hmm. as opposed to they were going there and then they get put in my class. And the camps, you know, they don't make as much money as when I teach at home on my own, but that's a big part of my pipeline to bring in new students because they get to see what it's like to work with you before they actually work with you, which is so important. You know, they're not going to pull out their credit card and spend 110 bucks on a lesson just because they saw your website and it said, hey, do you want to learn to play the mandolin? There's so much more to that. And the camps allow me to work with them for a week. They know exactly what they're going to get. And typically they leave with a lot of new things that they can do, feeling very inspired. And then some of them, not a huge percentage at all, but some of them sign up for lessons. And I only need and I only teach 18. Right. So that's a big part of why I have a long wait list. I think I have 17 or 18 on there right now is I can't keep up with the demand. It's a good problem to have. And it is such a good boundary that you have created that you haven't said, oh, I'll open up another day of lessons. You have created that boundary and people respect it, which is huge. So, you know, I want to know a little bit about Musi and why you decided to move everything. Where did you move it from? Why did you choose to go all in on a platform that is designed for music teachers to teach amazing lessons? Like, I mean, was it, you know, what did you hear? What did you see? What made you say yes? Well, I tried several different programs. And like I mentioned, at first I used Skype and it was back then, I mean, everyone called them Skype lessons. You never heard live online lesson, which is often the term used now. They were all Skype lessons and it worked fine for for the time. It was the best thing you had, but it was not designed for music lessons. It was designed for people to talk to someone usually in another country where they didn't have to make a long distance or out of country call. And I used that for quite a while. What caused me to move on from that is that it at the time didn't have a lot of good chat and recording features. Mm-hmm. And it also allowed the student to record on their end. And I want to be very careful about what I put out there. I want mm-hmm. the videos that I put out there, which are only for the student's use and they remain my intellectual property. But if they go and share those videos, I want to make sure that it's the good stuff that's on those. Mm-hmm. And for Skype, that made it tough. Uh, I won't go deep into it, but basically the process for making recordings is meant for people who are trying to record whole meetings. And no student is going to be able to go through an hour-long video and actually absorb the stuff. They'll spend three hours trying to find and practice the stuff they learned in the lesson. So from there, I moved on to Zoom. And Zoom was better because you could do shorter recordings a little more easily. Mm -hmm. But there were huge problems for musicians. And that is you have to go through all these steps to make the sound work. Mm -hmm, It will literally mm -hmm. cut out over and over and over if you don't have these settings right. When the settings are right, it works. 
but most of my students couldn't figure out how to do it. It seemed scary. It didn't matter if I made a screen capture video. They just couldn't either couldn't figure it out or some of the students I worked with were just too afraid to try. You know, they're tech timid mm-hmm. and they're having trouble even getting going. It's not that they don't want to. They just feel overwhelmed. So at one point, Zoom added one feature that I believe is for legal reasons that ruined it for music teaching. And that is when you pause a video or start a video, this loud voice drowns everything out to let you know that the video is being recorded. So I went looking and I had apparently signed up for Musi's, uh, their mailing list. And I actually, I got an email for the Expand Online Summit yep. and I opened it up. It was from Sam Reddy. I opened it up and realized, hey, this is the person that I signed up for their mailing list. So I started exploring it. And what Sam did is, you know, it's not that there's something wrong with the other programs. They excel in what they're made for, mm-hmm. but they're not made for music. And Sam fixed all those things. So my students don't have to go through an elaborate setup because music is made for them to play music on it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about recordings made from the other end because I have complete control. We don't have to worry about permission for video because it only videos me. They have an option to video themselves, but when I hit record, it only videos me. So I don't have to worry about if they're timid because they think they're going to be on a video that could end up somewhere else. And it just really works for that. And then starting about six or eight months ago, they started rolling out a lot of new stuff. You know, I've been using Musi for 10 months, I think, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they created this assignments tool. They listen to the musicians, the teachers, when we tell them what we need or what we want, they build it usually. So they created this assignments tool that I think of it like an editable email. You put in a title and then in it, you put their assignments, but you can go back and change that. And for anyone who's taken lessons where their homework was sent in an email and you've got 300 emails from your last 300 lessons, <laughs> that's a big time waster compared to look at your assignment and it has what you need for that day and possibly what you needed for previous lessons. So, so good. I love it. I love it. I really wanted to just kind of call out what you feel like are the important aspects of music, not because I want to give, you know, this whole conversation over to Musi, but there are so many features that Sam has shown me that I think are really cool because I'm a techie. And I was really wanting to make sure we brought what you as a music teacher actually use and appreciate with the platform. I have one final question for you, which is um, with respect to going beyond one-on-one lessons in the online space. Are you doing anything online in a group setting, workshops or group classes or any programs or anything like that? And what thoughts have you had around that whole idea? I'm not doing group classes online for a couple of reasons. It's not that I don't want to, but I'm so busy that it's it's hard to organize a new thing. I am planning to do some in-person group classes on my own in the mm-hmm. future, but I can still speak to how valuable that is because some of my good friends are doing weekly group classes, which is another reason I don't want to get into it. As good friends of mine have the same audience I do, they're teaching group classes and they're making their living that way. And we can coexist even better if we each do a slightly different thing. Um, One example is my friend, Megan Lynch, who was one of my mentors. She took me aside when I first started out and was like, this is why you don't have students and you need to be teaching online more. And 
blah, 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 a long thing for another talk. Um, <laughs> but uh, what she does is she teaches every week to a bunch of my students and other people's students and our class. I don't remember what they pay for it, but I did the math and she's making thousands of dollars a month on these one hour classes. There is a huge opportunity out there in the group class world. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you can then share students by staying in your lane. You're staying in your lane and you've got these other teachers that you know are great at whatever the other things are. And there's the cross-pollination and the ability to have rising tide and lifting all boats and all of that stuff. It's one of my favorite visuals for sure. I just felt that it was really important to to kind of bring that up, not just because it's like, okay, well, I'm not doing it, but because you have done everything in your business to make decisions. You have said, this is what I'm doing. I'm staying in my lane. I'm creating my boundaries. I'm doing what is right for me and for my family and for my business and for my students. And that's why you have found the success that you have found. Nate, I have really, truly enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure the listeners have as well. Um, We're going to have some links in the show notes for them to be able to keep in touch with you. Is there any specific link that you want to call out right now so they can hear it as well as see it? Sure. So if folks listening want to see examples of what I'm doing, they should go to playnately.com. That's P-L-A-Y-N-A-T-E-L-Y.com. And they can see what my membership programs look like, all my marketing. If they want to learn how to do that, they should go to lessonbusiness.com. And I have a free resource on there for how to set up a pro-level studio. And it goes through every step of, you know, the listeners can't see, but you can see what I've got set up here with the mics and all that, the lighting. It teaches them how to do that. It's totally free. And they can also, if they want to take that farther, sign up for the course on that website. And then the last one is thenatelee.com. Uh, natelee.com is uh, it's for sale for $10,000. So I'm thenatelee.com mm-hmm. and they can hear my music there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Expand Online podcast, Nate. I know that we will be having more conversations in the future. I'm so happy to have been here and had this conversation with you. And I look forward to talking in the future on the air or off.